Well, it's good to see you again, and as we are doing our Sunday School lesson on Sunday night, I hope it's a blessing to you. We've kind of been following the theme of Easter since it was this month. Boy, doesn't that seem like it was a long time ago. Uh, I saw a, a thing the other day that said that uh, they were looking on their calendar on their phone to enter a date, and they couldn't find anything for the 92nd of April. It does seem like it's been about 90 days in this one month, but we'll get through it. And time is moving on, and it's all according to God's plan anyway. So we just uh, need to rest in Him. And we've been talking about the resurrection of Christ in terms of His ascension. And sometimes I think the ascension of Christ has kind of taken a back seat to some of the other things. I mean, we have Christmas to celebrate His birth. When it comes to His death and resurrection, you know, Good Friday and Easter and those kind of things. But when it comes to his ascension, we really don't think much about it. We don't talk just a whole lot about it. And yet it was very important in the story. If you take any component of the life of Christ out of the story, then you really don't have redemption. And so this risen Savior had to ascend back to the Father. And it was so important that in John chapter 17, Jesus actually prays about it. And so if he's praying about it, and if it was on his mind and his heart, especially as he was on his way to the cross, then it's something that we ought to think about and know as well. So we have spent the last few weeks talking about some of the things that the Bible tells us about the ascension and why it's important. And I hope that that uh, has blessed your soul and fed you and encouraged you. But now I want to look at Jesus' prayer in the garden in John chapter 17. Many people call this the high priestly prayer of Jesus. We know that uh, this risen Savior that we have, who ascended to the right hand of God the Father, he functions as our great high priest. You remember under the Old Testament, there was a high priest that was a descendant of Aaron, and he was the one that once a year, for a very brief and limited time, could go behind the veil in the Holy of Holies and uh, he was the one that would put the blood on the mercy seat, and then he got out of there. He couldn't go anytime he wanted, and before he went, he had to prepare himself because he was a sinner just as we are. And uh, Jesus, though, is called the high priest who is an eternal high priest because he is sinless, and because he is sinless and the sacrifice for us, then he never has to leave the presence of God he never has to leave the real holy of holies in heaven. In fact, where the earthly high priest would go in and uh, they always stood up. Remember that? They always stood up because they were ready to leave as soon, just as soon as the ritual was done, they were out of there. Well, this high priest, meaning Jesus, when he went to heaven and put his own blood on the mercy seat, then the book of Hebrews makes a big deal out of the fact that he sat down. What does that mean? He never had to leave. He never had to get out of there. He is always there making intercession for us, always there defending us, always there to hear our prayers and to carry our prayers before the Father because he is a faithful high priest and he's not like all of the earthly high priests. Well, this ministry began in the garden. This ministry began before he ever was arrested and before he ever was uh, uh, beaten and scourged, 
before he ever was nailed to the cross and before he was ever placed in the tomb. He began to pray and he began to pray for us even in the garden. And as he prays about this, we're not the only subject of John 17, even though we're included. He prays about himself. Does that seem strange? This is God in flesh on earth about to be punished by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit on the cross. And yet he's talking to his Father and he's praying about the future and he's praying about the redemption that's going to take place. When we find Jesus praying here in the garden, this is actually God talking to God. The Trinity talking to one another during this time. And what is it that is on the heart and the mind of Jesus? Something that we rarely think about. The ascension that he's going to have and his glorification with God the Father. So let's read um, this. We'll go to John chapter 17. And we won't read the whole chapter, but we'll go down to verse 4. And it says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory that I had with you before the world was. So the first thing that we find that Jesus prays for here, for here is to uh, announce the ascension of Christ, announces that the ministry of Christ on earth is accomplished and uh, also that the uh, it's the end of his, how would we put it? I've got it here as limitation. Um, I don't know if that communicates everything exactly right. But one of the things we have to think about is the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. That's mentioned here. The glory that I had with you before the world was. Some people and some cults teach that Jesus really didn't come into existence until Bethlehem. When the baby was born, that was the beginning of Jesus. Some people teach that Jesus is a creation of God and that as the creation of God, he's kind of God's helper, uh, God's deputy, but he's not equal with God and not really God. Some people teach even, and this goes back to even the first century, that Jesus was just a man like any other man and as a man, he really didn't become anything special until his baptism. Remember when John baptized him and the Spirit of God came down upon him like a dove? And they say that's when he became the Messiah and he became something special. Before that, he was just a, a regular old person like you or like me or anyone else. And nothing more than that. Nothing more than that. And then they teach that at the cross, when Jesus said, Why have you forsaken me? that that's the point to where the Spirit of God left him and then once again he became just a, a mere mortal, nothing really special. Uh, all of that is so strange and so weird when you read everything that is said in the Bible, especially when you read what Jesus says here, the glory that I had before, the glory that I had at the beginning. You see, when God said, let there be light, other verses of Scripture, other passages like John chapter 1 and Colossians revealed to us that that was the Lord Jesus. He was present. He was the spokesman. He was the creator of all things. 
And this is Jesus, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it's not until a few verses later that they say that this Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The Bible is very clear about Jesus having always existed, because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, they, uh, it's an eternal Godhead, I guess we would say. And Jesus is praying that as I have stepped down out of heaven into earth to be limited and have the limitation in location, he was no longer omnipresent. Think about the limitation that he had in his knowledge. He said, I only know what the Father reveals to me. In fact, even about his second coming, remember his own words were, no one knows the hour, not even the Son of Man, but the Father only. Uh, Jesus limited himself. It's Philippians chapter 2. It's the doctrine of kenosis, as we call it, the emptying of himself. It wasn't that Jesus ceased to be God, but he emptied himself of all the rights and the privileges that he would have as God. And why did he do that? Why did he unglorify himself? Why did he lock himself in time and space? Why did he lock himself into flesh and blood? Why would he do any of that? So that he could go to the cross and he could be crucified for us. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And it's not just having physical blood be poured out. The uh, idea of shedding blood is a euphemism for death. God had to die. How does God die? Only by taking on a human body and dying in his humanity, dying physically for us. Now, he didn't die spiritually because at the end of his life he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And so he was in the hands of God. He told the thief, you will be with me today in paradise. So it wasn't that the spirit died, but his humanity died. And then later at the resurrection, of course, was raised up again. And the body was glorified and it was changed. Isn't it interesting that after Jesus was resurrected, he always had to identify himself. Now that could be because he didn't quite look or seem the same as he had done before. Or maybe it's simply because all of his disciples being human, they knew that he was dead and dead people don't come back. And Jesus had to convince them, it really is me. I'm the same guy, same person that uh, you were with before. Uh, whatever the case may be on that, maybe when we get to heaven we can ask them. Understand that Jesus was anticipating being glorified with the Father just as he had been glorified before his incarnation. Why is that important? Because again, it signals these two things. The work is finished. There's nothing else that needs to be done. And secondly, he is no longer limited. By going back to the Father, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is there in power. He's ruling and he's reigning. He also, as we said before, is uh, performing a high priestly ministry for us on our behalf every moment of every day. I think about the psalmist where it says, isn't it uh, 139, where he says, your thoughts toward me outnumber the sands of the sea. Uh, they're, they're uncountable how much God thinks of you. Well, this is the ministry of Jesus, watching over you, knowing where you are, knowing what you've been through, knowing where you're going, preparing you for the things 
that you are going to go through walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And how does one man do this? Well, Jesus told us, when I ascend, I'll send my spirit back. And so he is with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, end of limitations, never will be put to an open shame. And the end of humiliation, the end of all of those things that as a human being we would expect never to be tired again, never to be hungry again, never to be thirsty again, never to have blood loss and shock and trauma that would make him collapse under the weight of a cross. Nothing like that at all. No weakness or anything. Jesus is exalted at the right hand of God the Father. This is, of course, the Savior that we serve and the Savior that empowers us. The second thing as we read through this, if you'll go on down to verse 11, Jesus is praying and he says, Now I am no longer in the world. Well, of course he was in the world. He was right there in the garden. He hadn't died yet. But in the mind of God, whatever he plans and purposes, it's an accomplished fact because God doesn't change and God doesn't lie. And he doesn't change because there's no need for him to change. He's perfect. And he doesn't lie. Therefore, everything, whenever it is decreed, it's as good as done in the mind of God because there's no other option. And so Jesus prays about this. Now I'm no longer in the world, <clears throat> but these are in the world, his disciples, his followers. That would extend even to you and me. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. And so the second thing that he prays about is in his ascension that God would unify believers. You know, it's so easy for us to kind of fly apart sometimes. It's so easy for us to get disgruntled and have disagreements. And most of the time, they're not over anything substantive. They're over things that don't really matter. They're over the things that could kind of... Uh, be done away with and we could forget about. We uh, tend to major on minors, don't we? And we let the major things just kind of go away and drift away. And if you want any uh, illustration of that, have you ever noticed how many times you could have a family, just an earthly regular family like yours or mine, and maybe for whatever reason they're not speaking to each other. They don't have any fellowship with each other. They don't have anything to do with each other. In fact, maybe they even almost hate each other and then let somebody in the family die, and all of a sudden, families get back together again. Now, of course, in a fallen world, there are exceptions to that, but about nine times out of 10, it's true. Whenever someone dies, whenever there's a serious illness or a tragedy that breaks out, people can lay things aside that don't really matter. And as they lay those things aside and they come together to remember a loved one, or to support each other, or to help each other. It's a reminder of how petty those other things really were. Sometimes we find out that we should be and could be more unified than we really thought. We get prideful, we get arrogant, we start thinking that we're taking a stand here and we're the righteous cause and all of that. And sometimes that may be true, but other times, in fact, let's say many times, if not most times, it's not. And so believers have had the same problems. That's why there are so many different denominations. We divide over things sometimes 
that really do matter. And then other times we divide over just differences of opinion or different ways of doing things. For example, in our own Southern Baptist Convention in the 1920s, we adopted a policy called the Cooperative Program where every church pools their money together, whatever the church decides to put in it, and then that is used by the convention to fund missionaries. Did you know that there are several denominations of Baptists that felt like that was a wrong way to support missions, and that's the only reason that they don't fellowship with us or we with them? I mean, sometimes it can be pretty petty when we actually believe the same things and think the same things and even want the same things. We can fly apart uh, at, at the drop of a hat. We've all heard the jokes and the stories about churches that have split over the color of the carpet. Is anything like that really happen? Let me tell you, yes, it does. I know of a church that split, and this is just within the last couple of years. They split over one thing, and you know what that was? Whether they would take the offering after the third hymn or they would take the offering at the end of the service. Church split over something like that. So no wonder Jesus is praying about this because this is a very, very important issue. Believers being unified. And it's uh, also interesting the wording that he uses here. He says that we are the ones that the Father has given him. Did you know that Jesus presents you as a child of God, as a, loved gift, a love gift that was given to him by the Father? You are the Father's gift to Jesus. You are part of the bride of Christ. That puts things in a different light, doesn't it? Jesus is not just somebody who saves us and then just leaves us on our own. He loves you and he treasures you and he watches over you and he protects you and he keeps you like he would uh, keep a precious gift. Let's say that your father or your grandfather or something like that, they had something that was very precious and valuable to them and they gave it to you and they say, I want you to have this after I'm gone. What, what do you do with that gift? Well, generally, generally, you treasure it. Generally, you keep it in a safe place. Generally, you hold on to that and you want to pass it on to your own children or your own grandchildren. Well, in the same way, we are a love gift given to the Father, and the prayer is that we would be one singularly focused upon Christ, following His Word, and believing and standing in the truth of his word. And you know what he does in return? He secures us and he keeps us. Let's move on. And notice that as we get to number three and we move on down to verse 18, he makes a statement. As I have sent, uh, pardon me, as you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And what Jesus is doing here as he moves his way down through this prayer is telling us and praying about the fact that God's plan is for us to walk and to live and to work and to function on, uh, in our life on this earth just as Jesus did. That we are sent here in our time, in this place, in our culture, just as Jesus was sent in His. That we were ordained by God to be born when we were born, to live in the land which we live, to be in the times in which we live, in the seasons in which we live, because those are always changing. And as we do that, how do we function? 
Are we just kind of feeling our way around, trying to find the best way, trying to find one of many ways, trying to just stumble in the dark and hope that everything works out right? I mean, they used to say about uh, clocks that even a stopped clock is right twice a day. Well, we want to be more than that because we're living our life here with purpose. We're not just accidents of random chance. We are not just strange, weird mutations and accidents that are here on the earth. We are created by our Creator in the image of God. But much more than that, we are sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. We're given a spiritual gift and we're placed here on earth and we're put in earthly families and also in a forever family, a spiritual family called the church. And why do we do that? And some people kind of have the idea that church is just a place you come and you set and you leave. You come and you set and you leave and then maybe you give a little bit of money every once in a while and you <clears throat> maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, hang around people and <clears throat> get this cleared out. Now, it's not really that. We're a body with a function. My fingers have a certain function. My knees have a certain function. My eyes, my ears, my brain, all of that. We're coordinated together and they work together and they're in unity. Different, yes, but unified. And the Bible says that as a part of his body, we are sent here on earth. And even though we may be different, different personalities, different backgrounds, different talents, um, all of those kind of things, yet we are coordinated together by our head. Jesus is the brain of the body. He coordinates everything that we are and everything that we do. And as we are living here on earth, what is it that he says? He tells us, I mean, think about this, as you sent me into the world. Think about the plan of God. Think about the purpose of God. Think about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Think about the fact that it says, um, Jesus speaking, a body you have prepared for me. It wasn't just any old body, it was one made just for him. Think about Mary. Mary was chosen to be the uh, one that would uh, carry the Lord Jesus Christ throughout her pregnancy. She was the one that would give birth to him. She was the one that would nurse him and change him and bathe him. And she was the one that would take care of him that would uh, love on him and give him security. Think about all the things that mothers do. And Mary was chosen for that. Everything was specific. Think about Joseph being a descendant of King David. And think about all of the things that had to come together for Christ to be born. Because they were worldwide things. Even the Roman Empire was no accident. The fact that Greek was a universal language was no accident. All of these things put together so that as Galatians says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, right? That was for the purpose of redemption. We get that. It's a huge thing. It's a life-changing thing. It changed the calendar, didn't it? From B.C. to A.D., all of that, so important. And yet right here, Jesus said that as the Father has sent him, he is doing what? Sending us. And so all of this comes together thinking that, that God in his sovereign plan, that it's not just the big things, it's the little things, and it's not just movements, and it's not just ideals, it is individual people like you that were created for such a time as this to be a part of his body and to be used by him to continue his earthly ministry. 
And it's as if in this high priestly prayer, Jesus, if we think of the imagery of a runner, he's holding the baton, and it's at this point he begins to put the baton behind his back so that the next runner can take it seamlessly and move on with it. Jesus is saying that my earthly leg of the journey, it's not that Jesus has stopped functioning, it's not that he's no longer doing anything and it's all up to us. I mean, remember, he's at the right hand of God the Father. Remember what he's doing? But he has handed off earthly ministry to us, his people, and his church. This is what he was praying about here. This is what was important to him. The Bible says that Jesus went about preaching and teaching. So should we. The Bible says that Jesus went about doing good. So should we. The Bible tells us that Jesus was revealing the Father to people who didn't know him. And that's what we are to be doing as well. And so to function in the power of the Spirit, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, resting in the Lord and trusting in Him, and knowing that we are in His hands, fulfilling the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, as we were taught to pray, all of this is what we are supposed to be doing while we are on earth. And then that brings us down to verse 24. He said, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. And here Jesus is saying that I have come not only to save, but to keep my people saved. And so that's our fourth point in this, to secure our salvation eternally. This is not something to where Jesus saves us and then he crosses his family, hoping that, or crosses his fingers, hoping that his family will be secure and that everything will be okay. This is not Jesus knocking on wood, saying, you know, one of these days we'll have you in heaven, knock on wood, or some of those dumb things that we say. This is Jesus giving you his word. He is going back to heaven. He is receiving the glory that he had before his incarnation. And one of the reasons he is doing that is because he has gone to prepare a place for us and he's not going to have any empty rooms. He's not going to have any empty mansions. He's not going to be up there with uh, empty plates at the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I heard a song one time and it was uh, sung by the Happy Goodman. Some of you remember them. Well, one of the things that you have to know about them is they did not believe in the security of the believer and they didn't believe in election or any of those kind of things. And their song was, set another place at the table for another member of the family is coming home. Well, that's not the way the Bible presents it. You were not an afterthought and the Lord does not have to pull out another piece of china and another fork to put it down there and then throw another uh, piece of meat on the fire for you to come along. It's already arranged. It's already planned for. Now let me tell you something else. He doesn't have to take away any plates at the table either. I want you to think about that. It's not that when we all get to heaven and we're gathered together and the roll is called up yonder and we have some people that are absent. It's not that there are going to be some people that instead of saying present, there's just a, a silence. Okay, take away his plate. Okay, take away his plant, uh, plate. Close up that mansion. We no longer need it. There's not going to be any empty spaces because your redemption was planned for and prepared for from before the foundation of the world. 
And you not only were chosen in grace before the foundation of the world, but that was secured when Jesus died on the cross, or it was paid for uh, when Jesus died on the cross. And then when he ascended to heaven, what was happening? All the preparations were made for all of the love gifts that were given by the Father to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has already prayed, and by the way, he gets his prayers answered, that you and I would be with him. And the most glorious thing about heaven, I I I'm sorry, is not going to be seeing all of your loved ones. That's a side benefit. That's the side dish. That's the dessert. The main course of heaven is going to be you get to be in the presence of Jesus and see him glorified with the glory that he had before the world ever began. You, a mortal who normally would be like Adam running and hiding from God in fear, you immortal who would be condemned to die if you were to ever look upon the face of God, are going to be privileged one of these days to walk through gates made of a single pearl on streets that are made of transparent gold. And you're going to be walking in the midst of angels. You're going to be walking in the midst of believers who have gone on before you. You're going to be in the midst of the giants of the faith like Paul and other people like that. But what is going to catch your eye and overwhelm you is you will get to look upon your Savior and see Him in all of his glory, because there's nothing on earth that can ever match that. As close as you've gotten to God upon earth, it will be nothing like when you see Jesus face to face. We live in a world that was created by God, and the heavens declare the glory of God, the Bible says, and yet humans on earth, they mock him, and they scorn him, and they curse him, and they use his name as a curse word, all of those things. Well, one of these days we're going to be in a place where that does not happen and uh, will not happen because we're going to see him as he is. So rest, rest in him. He's done everything, everything necessary to guarantee that you will be there on that day. <coughs> this is not up to you or me to hold on. This is the fact that he is holding on to us. This is not about us becoming worthy to get to heaven and uh, somehow finding out that we trusted Christ. Now we have to do all of the right things to make sure we get there. Child of God, you're not going to purgatory after you die. You're not going to do a stint in hell after you die. And furthermore, whenever the time of your death comes and all of your weakness and frailty, the devil's not going to come in with a group of demons and steal you away you don't have to pray, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's already been kept. It's already secure. Just go to sleep and rest in Him. Because Jesus died, because He was buried and rose from the dead, and because He ascended to the right hand of God the Father, now it's just a matter of time until, number one, His enemies become His footstool, and they will. And number two, and all of His believers are gathered together in true unity, in true victory, in the presence of the Lord. And that will be a forever thing. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Man, that ought to bring a hallelujah out of anybody. That's where our hope 
really is, and it's because we serve a risen Savior. I pray that the Lord will bless you. Thank you for uh, tuning into this. Uh, we're getting near the end of all of the uh, restrictions with the uh, coronavirus thing. We'll see how it all plays out, and we'll be sure to let you know when we look forward to when we can get together again. It'll probably be kind of phasing some things back in. Uh, they're not going to want us to do everything and return to a full schedule. There'll be some things we can do and we can't do, and, but over time we'll be able to resume things as normal. And so we praise the Lord for that, and we look forward to that. And in the meantime, thank you for your prayers, thank you for your giving, and thank you for your support in all of these. And again, may God keep you healthy and strong, provide for all of your needs, and may He bless you richly. You are loved.